Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're beginning a new Sunday morning series entitled Avoiding Confusion. The first message in our series is entitled The Cornerstone of Life. The world we are living in is full of confusion, and it's time we got clarity from God's Word. Please enjoy. And uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be starting a new series on Sunday morning. And I'll get into the title of this series and the purpose for a series when I get into the message. Um, But if you have your places in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to please stand one last time, if you're physically able, for respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read four verses this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse number 19. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The title of the message this morning is The Cornerstone of Life. The Cornerstone of Life. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to come into your house today. Thank you so much for giving us a Bible that we can love and read and study. Thank you for giving us the country that had that gives us the freedoms in order to come and listen to your word. Clear our minds and hearts today. Help us to focus on what the word of God has to say to us this morning. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Nothing is probably more frustrating than confusion. Have you ever went into a store and the employees had absolutely no idea what they're doing? And they're calling back and forth and they don't know what's going on and that's got to be very, very frustrating. Or maybe you're at work. Maybe you're at work and it seems like you're the only sane person there. And everybody is just, hush woman. And everybody is just running around like a chicken with their heads cut off. And it's just confusion. Or maybe even sometimes you get confused. And maybe you don't know what's going on or where to turn to. And and you don't know. I mean, confusion is very, very frustrating. But I would have to say that the one thing that defines not only the society that we live in, but the American mentality as a whole, it would be confusion. Our country, our people, our society is racked with confusion. There is confusion on every single level. 
The title of the, of the series that I'm beginning this morning is called Avoiding Confusion. Avoiding Confusion. Um, what I want to do in this series is I want to help us establish what's called a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview. Listen, we've got an election right around the corner. And if there is anything that our country needs now, today, more than ever before, it is a biblical worldview. We've got to have it. It's something that we have lost. It's something we may have had at one point, but we don't have it anymore. It's like our country is just circling the drain. Our society, our people. We have to get back to a biblical word worldview. Let me read you a quote that's very, very scary, very saddening, it's very depressing. Robert Moeller said, the decline of Christian identity is particularly pronounced among younger Americans, and fully one-third of those aged 35 and younger report no religious affiliation. Isn't that interesting? It's a lot different from, say, 50 years ago, right? A lot different. So let's stop before we get any further into the message this morning. And I want to take just a second and I want to compare a godly worldview to a secular or a worldly worldview. Let's compare these two just for a second. First, let's talk about the godly worldview seeks to glorify God. A godly worldview seeks to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what that means is when I have a godly worldview, everything I do seeks to glorify my God. Everything reflects back to Him. Every waking moment, every place I go, I'm seeking to promote my God, to praise my God, to magnify my God, to glorify my God. That's what my life is all about. It's about glorifying my God. What is a secular worldview? A secular worldview is to glorify self. There's a, a new age term out, and it's called self-love. Looking out for number one. And it's to put one's own needs, concerns, or responsibilities above anybody else's. Now, if you've been any Christian, if you've been Christian for any length of time, you know that goes against the Bible. You know that's not the love that Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches love others more than yourself. But this secular worldview says, no, I'm the most important person. I need to love myself more than everybody else. There's a secular worldview. And it's the opposite of the love of Christ. Let's talk about a godly, a godly worldview seeks holiness. Seeks holiness. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. What does that verse mean? 
If I want to be right with man, I have to seek peace. If I want to be right with God, I have to seek holiness. So seeking peace is me being right with man. Seeking holiness is me being right with God. So what does holiness mean? Holiness means there's going to come a time when I can't do what my flesh wants to do. That's called being holy. Seeking holiness means I say no to my flesh. And that's what a godly worldview does. You seek holiness. A secular worldview does not seek holiness. A secular worldview seeks happiness. I'm seeking happiness. Um, what does the world think about happiness? Let me read you a quote. This is a quote from a liberal article about self-love. When I think about happiness, I think about having a moment to read, write, or dance. When I don't get to live out my true creative expression, I feel unhappy and purposeless. Listen to this. The soul is nourished when you surrender yourself to your innermost expression and no longer resist what is natural to you. You see, holiness is saying no to your flesh. Worldly happiness is saying yes to it. Saying yes to it. No wonder the Bible calls the lost man the natural man. You know why it says that? Because just do whatever feels natural. Just do whatever feels right. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. If it feels good, but that's, that's what they seek after. The godly worldview is absolute truth. Absolute truth. Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If I have a godly worldview, then I have absolute, unequivocal truth. My truth is that word. My truth is that Bible. My truth is Jesus Christ. It is absolute. It is the law of the land. It is higher than everything else. I have absolute truth in a godly worldview. But in a secular worldview, it's something called relativism. It's called relativism. Let me give you the definition of relativism. Relativism is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist only in relation to culture, society, and historical context and are not absolute. What does relativism lead to? I'll tell you. It leads to a society where anything goes. Anything goes. It leads to a society that says pedophilia is just another sexual orientation. And you don't believe that's where we're headed to? Well, you look over at California and they've lowered the penalty for pedophiles. In America. What's that the cause of? The cause of that is, man, there's no absolute truth. There's no 
We can set the bar wherever we want to set it because there is no absolute truth. That's what a secular worldview leads to. A godly worldview is personal sin. Personal sin. I'm going to read you a verse. I'm going to read you 1 John 1.9. I want you to tell me from this verse if you can tell me whose fault sin is. If we confess our sins, he is, just, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whose fault is the sin? It's my fault. I am a sinner. I have broken God's law. I am not good enough. God is up here and I am down here for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. I am a sinner. It is me. I'm not going to burn in hell one day because uh, if I was lost because uh, God created me to to go to hell. No, I'm going to burn because I'm a sinner and I didn't repent because the sin is my fault. Personal sin. Personal, it's me. I am guilty. And a secular worldview, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. One person messes up, it's not that person is to blame. Society's to blame. One police officer messes up, All police officers are guilty. That's what this secular view leads to. Headline. Police officers gun down unarmed homeless man. It's the police's fault. What they don't tell you is that the man disobeyed repeated attempts to get him to lie down and he wouldn't do it. The police officers told him over and over and over and over, get down, get down, get down. But they don't tell you that. They also don't tell you that there was a report that he had a gun on him, that he had a weapon in his waistband. And they don't tell you that after this man got done completely cussing out the cops that he reached for his waistband in disobedience to what the police officer told him to do. They shot him. It was a BB gun. It wasn't even a real gun. How are they supposed to know that? Let me ask you a question. When you clock out at 5 o'clock, don't you want to go home to your family? So do police officers. I want to go home every night. Did you, did you know that every fight with a police officer is a fight over a gun? Because the police officers have to carry one. Every fight is a fight over a gun. Oh, <laughs> it's not that person's fault. The whole secular worldview is shifting the blame. It's not the individual's fault. It's society's fault. A godly worldview. Here it is. God is supreme and all people need forgiveness. 
A godly view is God is supreme and all people need forgiveness. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Man, God is the only one that can forgive. And if I need forgiveness, he's the one I have to seek after. But the secular worldview is different. The secular worldview is man's reasoning is supreme. Man's reasoning is supreme. You know what this is called? This is called post-modernism. Post-modernism. Let me tell you what that is. There is no absolute truth and everything is shaped by culture. There is no ultimate truth. There is no God. There is no religion. In fact, religion is man-made. So if religion is man-made, I don't have to listen to religion. Since it's man-made, I can just listen to my own thoughts. That means man's reasoning uh, reigns above all, and the end result is man is his own God. Man is his own God. That is a secular world view. I am my own God. I'll give you two more. A godly worldview is a little something called repentance. Repentance. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And repentance is admitting that sin is wrong and turning from it. That is repentance. That is a godly worldview. You know what a secular worldview is? Tolerance. We don't admit sin is wrong. We tol it's tolerance. Acceptance. Now, not tolerance of an opposing view. Well, they've shown, very, the world has shown very adamantly that they don't want anybody's view apart from their own. But tolerance, acceptance. It shouldn't surprise you that worldly people tolerate sin. They're worldly people. That's what worldly lost people do. You know what is shocking and surprising and saddening is the churches. The churches that tolerate sin. The, tur the churches that, that are tolerant and what they do is they stand up in church and they hold up a book that condemns the very thing they're accepting, accepting of. Or they might even find a perversion of the book that agrees with their philosophy. But they hold up a book that condemns the very thing that, that, uh, that they accept in order to look more modern. In order to look more accepting. Do you see the difference between the two views? And wouldn't you agree that what America needs now more than ever is a godly worldview? What is a worldview anyway? A worldview is a set of beliefs. A worldview is a set of beliefs. It's unique to each individual and we adopt it by faith. 
Even people that hold a worldly, secular worldview adopt theirs by faith. Don't believe me? Okay. A godly Christian worldview says, man, there was a supreme being. And he stepped out one day in the void. He stepped out one day in the darkness. And he said these few little words, let there be light. And there was light. And he he made man and formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. And there was life. And that God, that creator, he gives us our food. He gives us our water. He gives us our air. He gives us our shelter. He gives us everything that we need in order to sustain and live. And even the things that we don't know about and we don't know what's going on with this process in the universe, it's okay because that just shows how wonderful our God is. We take that by faith. You don't think the worldly people have faith? This is a secular worldview. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then some gases came together. And the gases coalesced and exploded and made everything that you see. My question is, where did the gases come from? And then earth just fell out of the sky, almost like a letter factory blowing up and a Webster's Dictionary falling out of the sky. Everything just came together. You don't think that they have to take that by faith? And there was a, a mud puddle, and, there was, and, and lightning struck the mud puddle, and life happened, and the, and it started, the life started swimming around, and one day the fish walked out onto, uh, onto dry ground and started climbing trees and swinging back and forth, and one day the tail fell off, they hit the ground, and that was man. You mean to tell me they don't need faith to believe that? I don't believe for one second that if I had a tail, I wouldn't use it. I would use that tail. You don't think with my arms full of groceries, I would whip that tail around and open that kitchen door? I would do it in a second. So don't tell me that the tail fell off because uh, we didn't use it. I'd use my tail, okay? You You don't think they have to take that by faith? They have to take their world as much by faith as we do. Worldly view is a set of beliefs. But at the center of every worldview is a foundation. And we call that foundation the cornerstone. The cornerstone. You understand that the cornerstone is the first piece of any structure. It's the first piece of any structure. It's the most important piece because if that cornerstone is set just so, everything else will fit properly in place in the structure. But if that cornerstone isn't right, if it's offset, if it's not measured just right, if the location is wrong, then it's not going to fit together. But man, when the cornerstone is right, the structure comes together and everything fits solid. you got to have the right cornerstone. Let me talk about a few things that we're going to talk about in this series. 
we're going to address some of the following topics because there's a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion today. First thing, one of the things we're going to talk about, and this is not all, but not limited to political confusion, political confusion. How should I cast my vote for the various candidates that are available? Now, look, I am not going to stand behind this pulpit and tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to do it. But I am going to tell you what the Bible has to say about the issues. I'm going to tell you what God has to say about it. Number two, I'm going to t- well, there's some public health confusion. Man, COVID-19. But man, there's some, there's, some, there's some public health confusion out here. Who's handling the pandemic right? What does God have to say about it? There's gender confusion too. Man, do I have a genetic defect? Am I a woman trapped in a man's body? Or vice versa? Man, there's some gender confusion out here. One of the things we'll address. Origin of life confusion. Is God the only answer to where we came from? Or are we some planetary accident that just happened? It was just an accident. And we're just the fortunate result of an ongoing natural process. We're lucky. Is that the origin of life? There's confusion. We're also going to talk about beginning of life confusion. When does new life begin from previously existing life? What I'm saying is at what point in the reproductive process is a life distinct from that of its parents? We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about theistic confusion. Does God really exist? Is there only one God? Does God care about my life or is he just so far out there that I could never even know him? It's confusion. Man, people are confused. We got to address this. Now, look, these seem basic to me and you who grew up in church. You know the answer to all these questions. They seem basic to us. But, man, if you, you watch the news and you look at our country and you think, man, we got to get back to basics. We have got to get back to these basic things. But where does a worldview start? I can't stand up here and talk to you about a, about building a biblical worldview, building a godly worldview without setting a foundation, without talking about the cornerstone. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to talk about the cornerstone. I've got three aspects of the cornerstone I'd like to talk to you about this morning. Number one, we're going to talk about the reliability of the cornerstone. The reliability of the cornerstone. 
I want you to understand this morning that cornerstones are carefully selected. They're meticulously measured. They're perfectly cut, so precise to go right into the exact spot. And the more elaborate the structure, the more costly the cornerstone. 1 Kings 5, 17, and the king commanded and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. Man, the cornerstone is so important. Why is it important? Well, my first sub point um, is for identity. For Identity. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I want you to understand this morning that the church is constructed of people. We talked about this a lot in the past few weeks, but the, tr- but the, the, the church is constructed of people. And we are fitly framed together with believers. And we do the work of God in our local area. Don't you understand this? morning that God has given us an amazing opportunity to work with him to be his partners don't you understand that God wants us to work with him he wants to work with us he he wants to be our working partner Man, when you consider all the other ways that God could have done this thing, he could have sent an angel, he could have sent a prophet, he could have done anything during this time. But how did he choose to work? He chose to work through the people of Chesbro Baptist Church who sit in these pews, who, who, who are members of this church and every church. He chose to work through me and you. Of all the things he could have chose from, he chose to work through me and you. He wants our participation. But let me tell you something. Jesus is the one person that a church cannot do without. A church cannot exist without the person of Jesus Christ. He should be the cornerstone of every church. And the standard by which every church is everything in the church is measured. You know what? A church is not measured against social media. A church is not measured against the news media. A church is not measured against a political party. A church is not measured against a law that Congress might pass. But Jesus Christ, that's what makes us different. That's what makes us stand out from the world in a day and age when so many churches want to blend in and they want to be want to be public centers and 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 and, and they want to dumb things down and they want to be just like the YMCA. Hey, YMCA church is the same thing and and they want to just blend in with the world. Jesus says, "No, I don't want you to blend in. I want you to stand out." Putting Jesus as the cornerstone of your church will make you stand out. Don't you think that if all the Hollywood elites praise a church, that don't you think there's a possibility that church doesn't have Jesus as their cornerstone? Don't you think that's a possibility? I think so. 
not only for identity, but for unity, for unity. We are fitly framed together. We, the people, as people, we are spiritual stones in a house that Christ has built. What does this mean? That means if I carry the load that I'm supposed to carry and you carry the load that you're supposed to carry, then we're going to be supported by the cornerstone. We're going to be supported by the foundation. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Did you just hear what that verse just said? That verse said, if me and you have the right relationship with each other, If we have the right relationship with the foundation, then it will grow. The church will grow. Why? Because we're all going to supply what everybody needs. I'm going to supply what you need. You're going to supply what I need. This brother will supply what this brother needs. This sister will supply what this sister needs. And that's how we grow. That's how a church grows. 1 Peter 2.4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. What? If you believe on him, you won't be confused? If you believe on him, you won't be ashamed. Interesting. Just like every brick and mortar in this building was centered around the the stone foundation that is here under this building. It's set right in place. And this foundation is what binds everything together. Well, that's what Jesus says to me and you. Jesus binds us together. Jesus brings us together. He is the reason. You're not here today for me. You're here today because of Jesus Christ. You're not here today for somebody else. You're here today because of Jesus. He brings us together. 1 Peter 2, 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So each stone in this church gives a sacrifice of praise. Each stone in this church, and you were the stones, each stone in this church gives up a sacrifice of prayer. Each stone gives up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Each stone gives up a sacrifice of adoration and so on and so forth. And that is a church. 
We are a spiritual house. We are a single body. And it's Jesus that brings us together. And the Bible says that the world will know us by how we love each other. That is our calling card. Our calling card to this world as Christians is how we treat each other because a secular worldview is all about self-love and looking out for yourself. And Jesus says, no, look out for your brother and sister in Christ. Jesus brings us together. But then also, third sub-point for direction. For direction. The church is not here for the use of the members. This church is not your country club. It's not. Church isn't somewhere where you can come in and rub elbows with somebody. If you are going to a church where you can rub elbows and, and, and get ahead uh, politically or powerfully, then you're going to church for the wrong reason. The church does not exist. For you to use, the church exists so Jesus can use you. That's what the church is here for. Church isn't here for us to use, for us to manipulate, to get what we want. The church is here so that Jesus Christ can use us and we can be used in his service. Everybody wants a handout, but nobody wants to lend a hand. Man, that's what the church is all about. Church is not here for us to use. It's here so he can use us. And guess what? The pastor does not get to take the church in a direction that he sees fit. Pastor does not get to do that. It's laid out in the Bible the direction that the church is supposed to go. The pastor does not get to go against this Bible because it's convenient for him. Members don't get to do that either. Members don't get to do that. You don't get to decide what is and isn't acceptable. Jesus has laid it out for us. And when you start pulling away from the cornerstone... Man, your structure will start to crumble. Oh, but Brother Brett, look at these big churches that don't preach the whole counsel of God. Look how big they are. What you call a church, I call a social center. Not a church. The church of God apart from the person of Christ is a useless structure. Main point number two. The revelation of the cornerstone. The revelation of the cornerstone. My first sub-point under that is the identity of the foundation. Do we have the revelation of the cornerstone? And then the first sub-point under that is the identity of the foundation. You know what the identity of the foundation is? The Bible. The Word of God. God's revealed truth. Albert Barnes said the doctrines which they taught are the basis on which the church rests. Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. What was the first thing on that list that they continued steadfastly in? The apostles' doctrine. That's the New Testament. 
The apostles' doctrine is the New Testament. They continued steadfast in the Bible. Now, what I'm going to tell you next is there's some contention about this next verse I'm going to show you and I'll tell you, and it's Matthew 16, 18. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, Peter's the first pope. He was, the church was built on him. That's not what that verse says. You know what? You know what basically Jesus is saying in that verse? Peter means small stone. Small stone, I will build my church upon a rock. You know what a rock is? A rock is a large boulder. You cannot, uh, as Peter, Peter is not the rock that the church is built on. He's a small stone. Okay, well, Brother Brett, what is the rock that the church is built on? It's the subject of their conversation. And if you go back two verses, you'll see what they're talking about. Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter, Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the foundation. That is the foundation of the church that Jesus is the Son of the living God. The rock, the large boulder is that truth. Peter's a small stone. A small stone cannot be a cornerstone. Can't. Cornerstone is the rock. The cornerstone is, 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 is that truth that Peter had just declared. You cannot make a, a, a cornerstone out of a small stone. You have to use a rock. You have to use a large boulder. And Jesus is the rock. Over and over and over throughout your Bible, it calls Jesus the rock. But here in this verse, all of a sudden, it's Peter? I don't think so. Peter, I will show you that Peter even tells you who the rock is. Next, we have the identity of the cornerstone. First, we had the identity of the foundation. Now we have identity of the cornerstone. Psalms 118, 21. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. This is the prophecy in the Old Testament of the cornerstone. And the prophecy is that the cornerstone will be rejected. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Can you imagine building this church, setting out the framework, and the concrete trucks pulling up, and somebody going out and saying, never mind, we're going to try to build a church without the foundation. And does that sound crazy? Sounds crazy to me, but that's what the prophecy is. The cornerstone will be rejected. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. You know what else the Bible's the prophecy about this cornerstone is? The prophecy is about this stone will be precious. This stone will be worthy of adoration. This stone will be something 
to build upon. So that's in the Old Testament. And when we get to the New Testament, you know what Jesus says? He said, hey, all those prophecies about the cornerstone, they're about me. They're about me. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He was the one rejected. He was the one deemed unfit. But yet he was found to be the most valuable stone that was ever put at the center of a structure. Still today, people say that Jesus is outdated. They say that Jesus is old-fashioned. Jesus is unfit to be in our schools. Jesus is unfit to be in our courts. Jesus is unfit to be in our laws. Jesus is unfit to be in our society. Jesus is unfit to be in our marriages. But one day, the stone that they rejected, their only salvation will be to look to that stone or be destroyed. He may seem unfit, but one day everybody will know he is the only way. Which brings me to my final main point this morning. The rejection of the cornerstone. Under that, I want to tell you he was rejected in history. It's almost like that story of Noah. Man, Noah, God tells Noah to build a boat. He begins building the boat. When he's not building, he's preaching. For 120 years, he preaches and preaches and preaches. Anybody that wants to get on the boat can get on the boat. You can come with me and my family. You can come with us. And then he builds the ark and he preaches and he works on the ark and he preaches. And one day, everybody rejected. You know, I used to preach that when the first raindrop fell, it was too late. Then I started reading my Bible. and It was too late when he shut the door. Because he shut the door seven days before it started raining. As soon as that door shut, it was too late. Brother, can you turn this off and turn on this mic? And when he did that, it was too late. When the door shut, it was too late. Late. Just like in the days of Noah, people will reject the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. They've done it for a long time. Remember back when Peter first preached at Pentecost? People rejected back then. And he preached about the cornerstone in his first sermon. Acts 4.10 Be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Uh, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. Isn't it interesting that Peter knows who the rock is? Peter didn't say, I'm the stone. Peter said, Jesus is the stone. Peter said, Jesus is the rock. He knows who the stone is.
Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, rejecting Christ isn't anything new. It had, Peter had to deal with it in his very first sermon. Many people since then have rejected salvation through Jesus. So it is no surprise to us that people are still rejecting him today. Let me read you a quote from Lee Strobel from The Case for Faith. Many people consider it arrogant, narrow-minded, and bigoted for Christians to contend that the only path to God must go through Jesus of Nazareth. In a day of religious pluralism and tolerance, this exclusive claim is politically incorrect and a verbal slap in the face of other belief systems. But it's the truth. Ten years ago, the news was depressing enough. Today, the news makes you want to point your car toward a brick wall and set the cruise control. That's what, that's what the news will do for you. I took it upon myself and made myself watch a BLM protest. I told you this a couple weeks ago. I watched a Black Lives protest, Black Lives Matter protest in Washington. And I'm all I'm talking about here is the people at that protest. That's all I'm talking about. And what I saw was absolutely appalling. You have police officers lining the street, protecting what I'm assuming is a federal building. And the officers just had to stand there and take all the filth and verbal abuse that these people could throw at them. Unlike anything that you've ever heard before. The cursing, the foul language, the derogatory statements, the threats against their lives, the threats against their children, absolutely horrific. Constant attempted intimidation, it was, it was awful. And the only thing I could think of was my heart just goes out to those police officers. And you may say, I couldn't imagine ever doing that to anyone. Well, that's the difference between somebody that has the Holy Spirit and somebody that doesn't. Say, oh, Brother Brett, you don't know. You haven't been through what they've been through. I know a man who's been through more than anybody. I knew a man who was beaten, who was cursed, who was whipped, who had the flesh ripped off his body. He was innocent and he was beaten over and over and he was humiliated and he was hung naked in front of everybody and they nailed him to a cross. And after all they did to him, what doesn't even compare what anybody else alive in this country has ever been through. And he looked at his accusers and he looked at his beaters and he looked at his tormented mentors and he said unto them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, that's the difference in somebody that hath life and doesn't have life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. 
And when you look at the news, man, where's the fruit of the Spirit? See, there's a fruit problem. But you know why there's a fruit problem? It's because there's a root problem. There's a root problem because there is no, there is no salvation there is the root problem is the rejection of God's plan for each person's life through salvation. You understand that people will gather together today and celebrate the fact that they're not Christian? It is so weird for an atheist that for, for an atheist to have a church, but they do. Everybody gather together. Are we still not Christians today? Yes. Okay, let's go home. It's crazy to me. Makes absolutely no sense. Deuteronomy 32, 31. For their rock, which is their idols, is not our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. So we, our enemies admit that their God is different from our God. For their vine is the vine of Sodom. That's what their vine is. And the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. That's poison. Their clusters are bitter. You see these people who line the streets and cuss cops? You know what they're saying? They're saying Jesus cannot help us. Jesus is worthless. Man, that, that church thing you got, that Bible, that can't help us. Jesus can't save us. Jesus can't do anything for us because they're without the Spirit. But to us who have the Holy Spirit, what do we say? Jesus is precious. 1 Peter 2, 7, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. To us, Jesus is precious. And even though the lost reject him, one day they'll see he's the head of the corner. You see, when Jesus is our cornerstone, when he is at the center of our worldview, then our lives align with Christ. And our actions align with Christ. We're still sinners. We're still going to mess up. So it's not going to be perfect. But man, when Jesus is at the center of this thing, we line up with him. Romans 9.33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know what? Yes. Jesus causes the lost to stumble. Jesus causes the lost to reject. Yes, Jesus causes offense. Jesus causes people to be offended. But you know what me and you don't need to do? We don't need to be ashamed of what they're offended against. I will not be ashamed to stand and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There are many churches that will still say that. I'm, not, I'm also not ashamed to stand up and tell you what the definition of biblical marriage is. I'm also not ashamed to stand up here and tell you what the role of a husband and wife is in a marriage. There are some people that are ashamed to say that. 
I'm not ashamed of that. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and of salvation that everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your biblical worldview based on? If it's measured from the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, it will stand in the day of trouble. And if your biblical worldview is based on the word of God, it will not fail when the storm comes. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Today, the rain is falling. Today, the flood is coming. Today, the wind is blowing. Number one this morning, if you haven't chose Christ to be your cornerstone, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to choose Christ as your cornerstone and make Him the center of your life and make Him your Savior and put Him at the, as the cornerstone and foundation of your worldview by accepting Him in salvation. And number two, if He is your cornerstone... Don't be ashamed of it. You know the reason why America is the way it is today? Because Christians are ashamed. Christians are ashamed to stand up and preach everything in this book. Not pick and choose. Not cherry pick. Cherry pickers are the reason why the world is the way it is. Joel Osteen is the reason why he represents what's wrong with America today. Because we got preachers standing up, cherry picking, and, and, and choosing what they will and won't preach. And they preach all good stuff. And they don't preach on sin. And so there's no repentance in our, in our country. And we wonder why. Oh, but Kanye goes to church there. <laughs> Who cares? Preach the Bible. Don't be ashamed of the Word of God.